Hey, engine professionals, machinists, and enthusiasts, welcome to the Engine Professional Podcast. Hey everybody, we're back for another great episode of the Engine Professional Podcast. My name is Steve Fox. You've already heard from my co-host Chuck Lynch with our his introduction there. Chuck, how's things going today? All good, all good. It looks like it's starting to turn fall. I'm seeing some leaves hit the ground and I'm looking forward to that to be honest. Yeah, we've had some hot days here in the Chicagoland area and uh, kind of looking for a nice cool off. And like you say, leaves are hitting the ground, changing colors. Fall's great, but that season after that, eh, not so great. <laughs> I'm there with you. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, we got some breaking news uh, this morning from our senior tech specialist here at AERA. Mr. Dave Hagen sent us some information that thought he might be uh, good for the podcast. And it's perfect timing because it is a vehicle that is being sold at a rate of one every 28 seconds. 28 seconds. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. And that vehicle is the Toyota Corolla as it surpasses the 50 million mark of vehicles sold. That's a lot of cars. That is a lot of cars. And I've known a lot of people to have them. So I guess so. That's saturation. Yes, yes it is. Um, kind of an interesting fact that he pointed out to us was that they've sold 50 million and the second closest is the Volkswagen Golf which is 8 years younger than the Corolla and that has yet to reach the 40 million mark. So that's uh that's quite impressive that they're uh 8 years older and 10 has yet to hit the 40 million mark. Wow, yeah, that is impressive. But they do sell that in 150 different countries, but 28 seconds in more than 150 countries around the globe. Still, that's a lot of cars being sold. Yeah, that was uh, what probably the the first big import for Toyota into the U.S. I believe was that Corolla line. Maybe it wasn't called exactly that, but you know that was uh, in the fuel embargo days is when they hit it big. Yeah. Yep. I do see a lot of them on the road, and we get a lot of calls about them on the tech line. So for sure, they are out there. <laughs> All right, Chuck. Moving on here little history for the month of September. So picture it's September 1955. You're sitting out on your on your uh, little front porch there with the white picket fence drive going around the house and the leaves are falling. And uh, in September of 1955, Ford produced its two millionth flathead V8 engine, 23 years after its introduction in the 1932 Model 18. The valve in block design was the first independently manufactured V8 from Ford. The first rendition of the flathead engine had a displacement of 221 cubic inches and made a whopping 65 horsepower. These Ford V8 engines can be identified by the water pumps located at the front of the heads. Production of the 221 lasted from 1932 to 1936 before being replaced with a block with water pumps on the side. 
1939, the 230 or 221 was replaced by the 239, which pumped out 95 horsepower. The original flathead Ford V8 design was discontinued in 1953. The two millionth V8 was a second generation engine. So a little interesting thing about the uh, flathead Ford V8s is the still the number of calls that we take. Um, we have some members that are quite specialized in in handling the uh, flathead V8s as well. Um, Bob Sweeney at FX Engines, uh, he's actually involved in these every year out at the at the salt flats and land speed records. Um, I know Brian took a call earlier this week. I took one um, in conversation with a gentleman who used to do auto restorations. Um, casting salvage is a you know frequent caller, and and he was working on flathead V8 too. So they are still a big part of our everyday business. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. You know, we step back to September of 1955, and we're talking two millionth. Ford engine sold making 65 horsepower and previously we were just talking about the Toyota Corolla selling 50 millionth car <laughs> yeah it's... probably making a little more than 65 horsepower too by the way <laughs> out of a much smaller platform <laughs> well Chuck today we're going to talk about something that um, has been pretty common uh, lately on our tech line and you actually did a nice article in engine professional magazine our Q2 issue talking about torque plates and I think what our listeners will gain from this is kind of how important it is to use a torque plate and when it should be used right yeah and you know and we always get a lot of help from uh, Lake Speed Jr. and and he's used that in a couple of presentations since and even uh, referred to that article so uh, yeah uh, the timing's good well Chuck no time of wasting, so let's get uh, jumping in here and start talking about a little bit about torque plates. All right, Chuck, today we're talking torque plates here, and probably one of the most important questions or common questions we get on the tech line is, when should I use a torque plate? So the question of when should I use a torque plate, um, there are definitely applications that it, there are some documentation and say you should use a torque plate. Um, you know, the B-Series Cummins, uh, uh, of course, anything that has the head bolts that are engaged into the gasket deck surface is where we really see a huge impact. Uh, but to be honest, if, if you can do it, if you have access or you create the torque plates, it will make any engine better. Um, I do hear a lot of comments about, well, the threads engage down in the mains and so forth, and uh, uh, I don't really need that. But there is not a engine design that will not benefit from having the clamp load applied. So you had mentioned that those bolts kind of go down towards the mains uh, on some of those and i would assume that the longer that bolt bolt goes down the the more distortion you could get in the bore well you you may not see that pulling away at the top like if if the bolts are engaged in the gasket deck surface and 
the the bolts are tightened you know the head bolts are tightened what you typically we see is where that bolt is that it pulls the cylinder actually away it's like it's trying to pull it um, toward the actual bolt hole and that's because uh, we'll get into that further but the the armor the combustion opening of the head gasket is your fulcrum so it makes it pull but what a lot of people are not looking at is the fact that those big long head bolts they still generate tremendous amount of clamping force so it, it's pretty common these 11 millimeter 11 and a half millimeter head bolts are making 12,500 to 15,000 pounds of clamping force per bolt then say you've got 10 bolts so all of that force being applied um, I liken it to you know if you're standing on a can um, the can may hold your weight but you could still be causing some wrinkles and crumpling and so forth so as you're you have all of that force trying to crush that cylinder um, you can definitely see bore distortion if you take a look at nearly every block um, with the exclusion of sleeves but anything that's cast and even the material that's behind a sleeve on the major thrust axis your wall is going to be thicker than on your minor thrust axis uh, the area between cylinders to allow cooling well that's a different thickness as well so that's going to react differently when you apply that clamp force I mean it's it's simply it's about column strength so when I have that much clamping force, even though it's engaged in the mains, it's still trying to, again, it's like trying to smash a beer can. So um, it is in your interest to, to go ahead and torque plate those applications as well, if you can do it. I mean, there's risk versus reward, and there's return on the investment. Hey, am I ever going to see one of these again? Can I justify $700 in torque plates and fasteners and so forth to do this? Eh, we got to think like that but to the question will it torque plate improve my product absolutely that's a it's a great great way to improve a product as we're we're talking about torque plates and using them how much variation in bore from not using one to using one or clamping the head on there when you go to assembly like how much is that going to I guess we're back to distorting that pore, which we probably talked about a little bit about already. Yeah, if you take a look at some applications, the, like the Magnum Chrysler block. So again, it's one of the applications where the head bolts are up in the gasket deck surface, but they're very close to the cylinder. And if you were, you know, as a rule, we usually say, hey, let's leave three thousandths in for honing. We got to get out the the fractured material from the boring process the variation so that the the boring process is is a sharp edged cutting tool but it's going to leave peak and valley peak and valley so to get back to the base material to put your controlled surface finish in your cross hatch angle and your rpk rvk rk to get to the, we usually say we got to leave three thousands to be effective but if you're creating a lot of distortion because of the uh, head bolt torque, 
Now on those 318, 360 Chryslers, you may have to leave seven, eight, nine thousandths in there to make sure that you can get back to the base material. That's how much it pulls away. Um, some of the cylinders you may not really see that you need to leave that much in there. So again, the application dictates it. Um, you know, the the modular Ford's a good example. It's a big long cylinder. It's got a big long head bolt, and it has more of that accordion kind of effect. It you may only need to you could probably still get by with leaving three thou in there. So it just really depends where where the fastener is, how close it is to the cylinder, and uh, how much engagement clamp force. So there's not really a hey, it's always going to distort two thousandths or it's always going to distort five thousandths. Uh, you really need to uh, know that particular engine platform, that casting, that block, and uh, and analyze that. So you mentioned head bolts. Um, kind of studs, kind of the same process, same theory, I guess. If you're using a studded block compared to your one that's using head bolts, right? It's still it's still about its ability to create clamping force, and the biggest issue is quite honestly the head gasket, um, the position of the combustion armor relative to the cylinder and the fasteners. Uh, Archimedes said, "With a big enough lever, you can move the world." So the, the combustion opening, you know, it may just be a mild steel over a solid core body. It could be a steel armor over a wire. So once you start manipulating that fulcrum point, which is the armor or the combustion opening, uh, you can really have a huge impact on, on the distortion results. So in a high-performance application where you're trying to get a huge amount of combustion seal and you're using that stud and you're using a stainless steel armor that has a wire insert or maybe, maybe we're using an MLS gasket and we're decking, you know, we're deck ringing, then that fulcrum point is different for each one of those and then hey I'm, I'm using these high tensile studs so they can they can distort things that maybe wouldn't have distorted with an oe fastener so you think well the app how i put the stud in i don't have that underhead friction um, i don't have the thread rotation friction but i still have tons and tons of clamping force and that's actually what's distorting stuff it just may react different because the friction change but still i have a tremendous amount of clamping force and i have that fulcrum now the whole purpose of a torque plate is to kind of simulate the cylinder head uh being on the block as you're doing the the honing and or boring or honing or whatever whatever you're doing there so and we had mentioned gaskets earlier do you need to have the gasket when you do a torque plate on a on a block Absolutely. And I've been through this in my career where because of the cost, people have tried to not use a gasket. And well, if the tightening of the faster fastener creates all that stress, again, it goes back to the, the gasket has the lever, the fulcrum point, that combustion opening. So 
If you don't have the gasket, don't waste your time. Two flat surfaces coming together without the distortion of the gasket, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're gonna make very minimal changes. So, ideally, you use the same part number gasket that's going to be used when you build the engine. Am I saying use the same gasket you're going to build the engine with? No, because you may with honing oil or coolant or something like that you would destroy its ability for cold seal um, usually when you stick a gasket to a block and then you peel it off you've already impacted that some there's always some risk i know people use mls gaskets uh on you know during the dyno run they may take the head off and then put that same gasket back on but when it comes to cold seal ability and things you can impact that so i would highly uh, recommend that you don't use the gaskets you're going to build the engine with when you're torque plate honing but to use the same part number gasket so that the bore opening is the same the same construction you know you wouldn't want to use an MLS gasket with a 4100 bore and then build the engine with a you know solid core composite marine gasket with a 4 inch 125 bore uh, you know, again, you moved your you moved your fulcrum for the lever. Obviously, you don't want to use like you said, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, was not using the same casket on the engine that you're going to build. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, you're going to spend fifty bucks extra on a set of gaskets or whatever, hundred bucks when you're building a four or five thousand dollar engine. It's pretty pretty cheap to make sure that everything seals correctly by using a new gasket instead of the same one over. Right, right. But you can use that. No, I shouldn't say that. I'll ask the question. Can you use that gasket uh, that you use to torque plate if you have two engines there? You can use that on the next engine as well on the torque plate. You don't have to go buy a new gasket for a torque plate. Right, right. You know, a good rule. Um, again, I came from a production environment, um, you know, and we actually had little drill points that you could mark the torque plate and... Okay, so I used it 10 times. When I get to that point, pitch the gasket, take some solvent, clean up the little drill points, and then start over. Okay, I did 10 more blocks. Get a new gasket again. Uh, you can do things of that nature. Uh, you know, if you're a high-end performance shop, you're like, hmm, that's, that's too many. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace them every three. Because there is degradation, you know. The... the releasing clamping releasing clamping releasing uh you just start to displace material and they definitely material stick a lot of times folks will use like a uh, some kind of release agent or light oil something of that nature so that the gasket doesn't stick to the block and head so much because once you start to pull a facing material off if you're using a graphite gasket or a you know a paper clay composition gasket once you start pulling facing material from the gasket, then your results are changing. Uh, there's a flange over body balance. Usually, the the flange of the gasket or the combustioning the combustion seal is one and a half two thousandths higher uh, than the actual body of the gasket. And again, you want to apply more load at the combustion seal than you do for the body sealing of fluids and so forth. Um, so, if the body of the gasket's sticking and it peels off and now i have ten thousandths flange over body 
again, I got a different fulcrum. So my lever that's going to react against the bolts is different. And I could create a lot more distortion um, that isn't going to be replicated when you build the engine. So again, that's what we're, to, to your first point, we're trying to replicate what the cylinder head does. You know, you kind of mentioned some things about reuse, you know, like using that gasket three times in a performance shop, 10 times on a, on a production facility or guys that just don't do a lot of them, you know. But how about when we see a torque angle for the mains? And we get this question a lot on the tech line about, well, I'm doing this, uh, I'm torque plating this block or actually on some connecting rods. I'm resizing connecting rods and it says to use new bolts. So do you use the bolts, you get a new set of bolts and you torque angle them to set the torque plate and torque it in place. Are they no good? Do I have to buy two sets of bolts? <clears throat> when it comes to the torque plate itself, oftentimes people are, they struggle to find a plate or a fastener that matches exactly. And that's where it kind of comes in, okay, so you build a block head combination uh, that you you would use the correct torque. I'm going to use the right fasteners because I have a head, I have the gasket I'm going to use. And you, you kind of go about it backwards. You go through the bottom of the bore and you see what that cylinder measures. Then you take your torque plate and you can use different fasteners. And what you do is you will plot what you measure through the bottom of the bore create you an Excel spreadsheet or something and look at it like a clock, one o'clock, three o'clock, you know, and record your findings with a dial bore gauge and then put your torque plate on and try to replicate those. Uh, it's usually not as simple as just, hey, I'm going to torque it to what the, the spec is for that engine. You usually have to kind of creep up on it and say, okay, oh, there's the distortion now as it matches. Um, what what is that number i need to write that down i need to record that so i can reproduce that condition in my home um the that's probably the the biggest thing that we don't do as an industry is you know okay felpro book says torque it to you know 45 foot pounds in 90 degrees and that's just what we do it's quick it's easy but it's not going to give you the best result. It's probably a better result than doing nothing at all. But um, it could be too much. How many heads do you know that have a big hole through the cylinder of them that you can stick a hone head through? Probably none. <laughs> we sure hope not. I don't think it works like that. Um, but, you know, again, it the, the preparation side of it to tell you where you need to be um, is paramount. So... Again, you have to go through the bottom, record the information, and then tighten that accordingly. And then when you do that, you know, you maybe you go to ARP and you get a custom fastener or you, whoever your bolt supplier is, maybe it's even something from, you know, like a fastenal or something. But you get a fastener that yields you what you're looking for when you try to repro reproduce that. So you mentioned torque. Is there... Um... You should always follow the torque spec. I would assume that the cylinder head is going to be torqued at and, and sequence as well. In in sequence, not 
torque spec again because you want to go through like through the bottom of the bore and you may find that okay oh i'm working on a big block forward and it tells me that i got to torque the head bolt 110 foot pounds but i find that i really need to torque at 95 with a torque plate to create the distortion and again you need to probably record that for each bolt hole location because they may vary and then you then you may say okay I have an acceptable amount of variation. This is close enough for me. I'm at least going to torque them all to 95. I don't want to have this one at 90 and this at 95 and this one's 92. That might be the ideal thing. That may be what the engine really wants. You know, uh, again, the parts kind of talk to you. They tell you what they like, what they dislike. Um, but you may have to say, hey, the price of quality is so high that i can't sell my product i have to be able to be productive too so um you you make some compromises <clears throat> i think in a perfect world we would have everything bolted to the engine that could create some distortion but we're mm -hmm. not going to do that i think we need to make sure we at least tighten the mains a lot of main bolts in automotive i'm not talking diesel i'm talking you know, passenger car automotive type stuff. Main bolts are 5,000 pounds of clamping force, five to 7,500. And head bolts are 12,000 pounds to 15,000 pounds, very commonly. Of course, you're going to see some that are less than that. You know, small block Chevys the, are less, but they get 17 bolts per side. How many engines now have 17 head bolts around the flange? Not very many. Right. Uh, so that's changed but you know fasteners are they're the the strong thing so if i you know i know some of the race teams hot home they put timing covers on things of that nature to create all those distortions but you know, go after the the big things and these huge amounts of clamp load are the head bolts and the main bolts so i highly advise always have the main caps on and have them torqued a lot of these bolts that pull way deep into the mains they're also pulling on the opposite deck so one torque plate in some applications is not enough you want to have both torque plates on both torqued in place before you start honing again it's more cost so you always have to do that assessment you know risk versus reward what's the value at the end of the day what's what's my customer willing to pay for you know no, that's great information, especially on the mains. You know, I think a lot of guys, um, I think they do torque the mains on there. But like you say, you know, that means getting all those like on the five, four, fours or four, six, those jack shaft bolts. You know, that should be included in those mains as too, uh, as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. Because they are creating a, by design. You know, I mean, the that's a good deal of distortion and by hitting that from different angles to secure all of that um it, that those like those the jack bolts and those pins and whatnot um again i've shared this in in the tech presentations we've done with uh clamp force and we've used a load cell and whatnot and it's amazing you know i say you know don't worry so much about maybe putting a timing cover on or whatnot um, uh, but a quarter inch bolt does generate a, a good amount of energy. Well, you take something like that jack bolt, you get that pin that you slide between the main and, yeah. and, and the side of the block. Uh, 
then you got a lever. So that little bolt, relatively speaking, still can create a lot of more force because it's like a toggle clamp. Anybody that's ever run a Bridgeport mill, you know, those toggle clamps that we hold parts down with, they're using a lever somewhere that we move in or out to generate more clamp force, right? You know, if you were to just put a bolt up with a washer and get close to that thing and then clamp it down, or I take this lever and, you know, and create, put a fulcrum in there and all of a sudden I've, you know, increased that clamp force by, you know, 20% or 50, depending on where the lever is. I may have really made big changes in it. So, uh, you know, just look at it with that mathematic eye. Um, that's what all the stuff boils down to, you know, the triangles, they yeah. impact about everything we do, right? <laughs> Pretty uh, much. <laughs> so anything that would associate to that bore, like mains, head, any of that stuff, you should definitely be using anything that torques to that and can distort that bore. Uh, absolutely. And again, I'm going to touch on that. Sometimes these engines re- respond to both torque plates being on um in especially the modern stuff with the big long bolts again triangles the if you were to look at where the bolts are engaged how long the main bolts are and where they come up into the block and then the intersecting angles of the uh head bolts they may all be pulling right in the same area just about so you you know, okay, so I really need to make sure that all three of those uh, points are tight. Now, obviously, some of the torque plates that we have are not as thick as a cylinder head. So how does that affect it compared to when you bolt the cylinder head on? Um, you know, going back to what I said earlier, uh, that's sometimes people do try to make it look like the head in as far as thickness so they can use the uh, the OE types fasteners but it don't have water jackets and you know it doesn't have a variation in thickness in the spring pad area and so forth and again I can't access my cylinder if I put it a head on it so I, you have to throw that out the window you have to you have to do the homework I have to go in you know because I can make just about any kind of torque plate work whether i want to use cast iron steel aluminum there's there's a a point where you get to depreciating return okay i want a lighter torque plate gasket and i can adjust this well maybe some materials are just too flexible for the amount of clamp force that's being generated for that engine uh so you do have to to keep that in mind but you know you see a lot of heads that are five inches thick but they're probably not going to create any different, any more distortion than if you had a two inch, two and a half inch thick torque plate could do for you. And that's what a lot of folks do, you know, two and a half, three inch plates, aluminum, cast iron. Um, there's some really good steel quality stuff out there, but the steels are expensive and then you heat treat and so forth. So um, for the average guy that's not doing 50 of the same engine a day, um, he's probably not going to invest in some heat-treated steel plate. Um, I think you might have touched on this earlier, but it was one of the things I wanted to ask was kind of gasket design. There's probably several variables that play into uh, some criteria that should be considered when doing a torque plate with a gasket. 
Right. It's yeah, it's pretty easy to take off and run a direction because one thing supports the other. But the gasket's super critical and the the bore opening um so the diameter of the gasket you're going to hone with has to be the same as the one that you're going to build the engine with um yeah the gasket opening from the manufacturer that tolerance is probably plus or minus five thousandths with their tooling um so we don't want to grab you know the the mala graphite gasket and then end up building the engine with a comedic uh you know mls gasket and then i got a hundred thousands different pour there's too many variables what's the overall thickness uh, has some impact but you know by and large um you know like if you're using a composite gasket and the uh as I mentioned earlier, that flange over body on a material that's not quite as, as dense, um, the wave stopper design in MLS, um, maybe positioning of embossments around oil returns, um, water holes. I mean, the, all of those things can start to have an impact on the end result. So, um, the gasket choice is, it's hugely a critical factor. Yeah, and like you said, you don't want to take one manufacturer's gasket and material and change it to something else that you're going to build with. You want to make sure you use the same material, same same part number uh, that you're going to build the engine with when you do the honing. Right, right. Yeah, I was in a sh- in a shop recently, and we had that same conversation. Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes the the little things become the big things. You know, when I'm trying to you you get you know, picking on, on things that are, that are issues because once we get, once we get all the big rocks out of the place, then you have to start picking on the little things, right? Okay. Yeah. I know all the, I know the major basics. So now I need to go to the, to the, start picking on the little things and okay, make sure it's the exact style gasket and, you know, lubrication to the threads. You know, if I'm going to build the engine with lube on the threads, I'm not going but back at the hone, I'm just going to run the bolt underneath of the coolant or maybe the hone in the, or the oil in the honing machine. Um, you know, again, nail down the little things as you go, you know, um, uh, I just did an article and, and talk about repeatability and reproducibility you cannot preach that enough in what we do we need repeatability means that i can do it over and over again on this particular part reproducibility is hey i can pass this work because i've got a good enough process that the the other guy can do it as well so we want to be repeatable and reproducible now, one thing that's come up on the tech line a couple times has been, hey, I've got this engine. Um, obviously, they don't want to invest the money into a torque plate that's not going to be used, but maybe one time, uh, which I understand uh, they're not cheap. Um, but how would somebody, you know, I kind of tell guys, hey, you know, there's uh, there's might be some members that have a torque plate that they might be able to rent out. 
Uh, it's always good to maybe try to reach out to a member that um, <clears throat> has a torque plate that uh, they might be able to ship to you and you can use for one time or rent. So any other ideas, Chuck, that might be able to use? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, we're, we're an association. It, we're a group of members of this industry. Um, you know, we've got, uh, for our members, their Facebook technical group. Um, we've got members who are associate members who actually are manufacturers, uh, like CCA Racing, who, who rents uh, torque plates. I actually know a couple of shops that have done that just for their research and development stuff as of late. Um, you know, hey, why do I want to make my plates um, right now when somebody else has them that I can test? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, you know, that's a, a relatively new thing where we actually have a manufacturer who is renting those rather than selling them. And that gives us some great opportunity uh, to do the do the right thing, you know. Yeah, if you'd like, if you are a member of AERA and haven't been to our Facebook page for the members, um, just search AERA Engine Builders Association Members. And it'll ask you a couple questions to fill out there, but fill it out. It'll let us know that you are a member and we can get you associated to that forum on Facebook. We've already got a good group of guys on there that are asking some questions and it would be good to a situation like that where a guy's looking for a torque plate. Hey, I, I need a torque plate for XYZ. Does anybody have one that I could, could rent from you? Um, and they'll be, I would say, more than likely if a member has it and not using it, more than happy to send it to you right and within that group you know we have some of the the folks from that are associate members so manufacturers and so forth we've got some of the engineers from their staff that are members and so forth so it's a it's a great tool it's a great opportunity and and uh, we hope to see this grow and 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 benefit it's all about the networking absolutely absolutely so if you would like some more information on that company Chuck talked about, about renting torque plates or have a question about torque plates, feel free to email us at eppodcast at aera.org. Chuck and I'd be happy to get back to you on some ideas or concerns or questions that you may have about torque plates and get you in touch with those companies that might be able to help you with a need of a torque plate that you don't use every day. Well, Chuck, that kind of brings us to the end of torque plates. You got anything else you'd like to add, or you know, I just—it's an old saying. Um, you know, most things worth doing don't come easy. Um, so true. <laughs> so you know, as again, engine builders—we've learned a lot of the the hard stuff, the big things. This is just about your fine tuning. You know. Uh, your next level stuff, um, what, you know, what you can measure. We've been talking about profilometers a lot lately. Um, that gives you an opportunity to measure what's going on in, in the bore. Uh, I'll say some things that, uh, that, that maybe aren't typically 
shared um, when it comes to the to the surface finish. What you know, and while we're talking about bores, you know the the profilometer will tell you that um, you know if you aren't keeping your honing solution clean enough, you're reintroducing abrasive from broken down stones we'll use the term stone you know your vitrified or your diamond abrasive or whatever so um, you can actually reintroduce that abrasive you can um, have you know various different hardnesses of blocks that's a variable um, the whether it's coolant or um, you're using oil or whatever that everything reacts differently um every block manufacturer has to do something slightly different um so that you're never going to hone multiple families of engines and have the same result across the board so um profilometer gives you opportunity to measure that um and it as it started out with you know when you're when you're trying to assess what you do with the torque plate well, one rule doesn't work for all. You need to do some homework going into it. And uh, so, again, the mapping it through the through the bottom of the cylinder is the best thing that we can do um, in any shop. If you have a, if you can bolt ahead onto the block, you can do this. That's great information on torque plates, Chuck, for our listeners. And I think if they would like some more information, they can definitely read the article that you did in Engine Professional. Came out uh, second quarter this year, our April through June issue of 2021. And you can get that online at engineprofessional.com. And you'll see the article in there on torque plates. And if you're not receiving the magazine, you can also sign up for it there. But Chuck does a great job in that magazine talking about torque plates and adding more information than what we discussed there. So if you'd like some more information on that, please visit our engineprofessional.com magazine site. This year at the PRI show, the EREF, which is the Engine Rebuilders Education Foundation, is giving away an AERA big block Chevrolet that is built by Mike Maverigan, and it is a 540 cubic inch big block. And ironically, Chuck, that engine was torque plated. The small things in the big block. <laughs> and it's a great, uh, it's great. It benefits uh, the foundation that helps training in our industry uh, it helps anybody that's looking for additional training to better pursue their career in the engine rebuilding industry <clears throat> and it's this engine is a is great it's got some good pieces in it uh, it's a dart block dart heads uh, we've got some scat crankshaft and connecting rods uh, arp bolts and studs we have um Oh, Molly rod bearings and main bearings in it. There's some good pieces in it that this is this is going to be great. We don't have dyno numbers as of right now uh, because it as is at the shop waiting to get on the dyno. So hopefully uh, it'll make some good numbers and we'll be giving this away at the PRI show on Saturday, December 11th at 1 o'clock at the AERA booth. Tickets are 10 for $20. 
And if you wanted to purchase some tickets, you can go online and purchase those at the AERA website at AERA.org. And do you need to be present on that, Chuck? I don't think so. You do not need to be present. And included in the winning ticket would be the free shipping within the continental United States. Some lucky winner is going to win a pretty badass piece. I think so. You know, that's a, it's a, Mike's made a really, really nice looking piece out of that. Um, too bad it, well, I guess you could stick it in a no fendered hot rod and say, you just don't really like to hide it down in a hole where you can't see that. It looks cool. Another exciting thing happening in the fall here, Chuck, is the Engine Performance Expo. Can you tell us a little bit about that? All right. So uh, last year was the first Engine Performance Expo and um, went over well, and we're going to do this again. So October 12th through the 14th, um, we're going to have uh, round two of the Engine Performance Expo. This year we'll focus on uh, education. So, you know, last year, um, they did a lot of video recording, visited some shops, had some presentations on, you know, what we do as an industry, but, um, there's definitely a need to, to get new folks introduced to our industry. We need those folks. So that's, that's a, a big part of the mission this year is, uh, that outreach to, to schools and and to people who are just interested in joining you, it doesn't have to be that you're in a school um, there's plenty of training opportunities uh, maybe you stick your toe in a little bit and then and get it from that point you pursue some further education and uh, you know that's a big part of what we do here at AERA is the engine uh, certification program the EREF that Steve mentioned earlier is about education for engine rebuilders uh the and so um we're looking forward to this steve and i will be on site um and we'll be there to answer any questions about um the eref aera and the industry as a whole and that engine performance expo is put on by two great companies rottler and total seal they've combined to kind of do this together and it's a great opportunity to sit in on some webinars, if you want to call it that, but definitely get some training on uh, machining processes and education. So looking forward to that event happening in October. And uh, after that, Chuck, we will also be in, hopefully, Las Vegas, first part of November for the SEMA Apex Show. Hopefully. Hopefully. As you, as you mentioned. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we, we need this uh, for... For the industry, for sanity. <laughs> that is so true. So if you do plan on heading out to the Vegas shows, uh, please stop by our booth. We'll have a booth at both Apex and SEMA. And we'll be happy to just stop by and say hello. It'd be good to see you guys, meet you. Uh, I know we've talked to a lot of members on the phone. And we this is an opportunity where we get to see some of those members face-to-face. -face, and it's always good to see people face-to-face -face once you've talked to them for a long time on the phone. Handshake face-to-face -face. always I mean even if it's a good relationship it gets better you can subscribe to the engine professional podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform or listen at podcast.engineprofessional.com in addition uh, if you like what you hear and you have any questions comments or otherwise 
please send your comments to eppodcast at aera.org. Again, that's eppodcast at aera.org. Well, Chuck, another episode in the books here with Torque Plates. I think it was very good educational. Uh, looking forward to uh, what we've got planned next. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, we won't really let the cat out of the bag yet, but um, uh, I think our next episode will be pretty cool. So please, like Chuck said, subscribe to our podcast through your favorite listening platforms because you won't want to miss any episodes that are upcoming. Chuck, I'll get to see you in a couple weeks. We'll be together. Looking forward to it. And tell them. <laughs> Until next time. Till next time.